This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Carnivora. Get healthy and stay healthy with nature's nutritional powerhouse. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Martha Smith Blackmore of vetinvestigator.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore Klein sharing their pet's testimonial. Our little dog developed this lymph problem. We took him in for surgery last year. We noticed a lump on his chest that was a lymph node that was swelled up. So the doctor checked it out. He had it analyzed and everything, and uh, but the chemotherapy lasted for six months. He started developing more uh, lymph nodes that were swelled up. So I thought I'd just try carnivore. We started that, and uh, he really responded. The lymph nodes started to go down, swelling did. Then I took him into the vet to have him checked out, and there was no sign of any disease at all inside in the internal organs at all. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735 or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Martha Smith Blackmore, who is a fellow veterinarian on Pet Life Radio with us today. Now, Martha and I go way back together, 20 plus years, where we were both internship trained at the MSPCA Angel Animal Medical Center in Boston. Dr. Martha Smith Blackmore, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Justine. I'm really excited for our conversation today. You know, I miss working with you. It's been a long time. And we definitely have gone through different paths in our veterinary career. Just so our pet-loving audience knows who you are, do you mind just giving us a little bit of background about where you trained, where you went to vet school, what you do, and what led you to the path of being a forensic veterinarian? Absolutely. It's my pleasure. It wasn't so much a path that I headed down, but one that I was drawn down or pulled along. I went to Tufts Veterinary School in Massachusetts and was lucky enough to land that competitive rotating internship at Angel Memorial Animal Hospital at the MSPCA in Boston. I enjoyed every single rotation I did, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to choose as uh, my career path. I was thinking maybe it was going to be surgery, maybe it was going to be pathology, and I started volunteering in the shelter that was attached to the hospital. And before you knew it, the shelter manager said, hey, doc, you're a shelter vet. 
And I said, there's no such thing, but if you need somebody to work here, I'll do that until I figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And so I spent the next 15 years or so working in a variety of animal shelters as an animal shelter veterinarian. And while I was doing that work, I was increasingly being asked by law enforcement officers, hey, doc, I've got this case, this animal it's got these signs and I'm not sure. Here's the story. Do you think it connects? Do you think it's consistent? Do you think these people are lying? And so I started helping law enforcement officers answer their questions. And as I did so, I started getting more and more invested in the concept of justice. And I became increasingly concerned that if I answered questions from my gut, that were wrong, I could be contributing to an unjust outcome of someone being accused of animal cruelty who really wasn't. And so I sought more training in that area. And eventually, I ended up training at the Office of Chief Medical Examiner in Boston for a year. And I opened my business, Forensic Veterinary Investigations, in order to help law enforcement answer questions they have about animals that may have been intentionally harmed, but also to help develop the field and make sure that we do it in a way that is just. I know you're doing some really cool science, but it's really tough subject matter too. I'll say as an emergency critical care veterinary specialist, I have sadly seen my share of animal abuse. Um, just a few months ago, we had a pit bull present who was really, really muscle wasted and super thin and a mosquito control officer found him in the woods. And unfortunately he had a plastic zip tie tied around his muzzle and he was tied to a tree and it had embedded it down into his tissue. He was covered in maggots and it just broke our hearts. Our whole staff team was crying as we were uh, dealing with this dog. And thankfully he was rescued and cared for by a local animal rescue group, but it's so hard. How can people abuse animals? It's probably a question you get a lot. It's probably the most frequent question I get, and the only way I can answer it is, how can people abuse children? It, it, it's that same degree of vulnerability, and it's multifactorial. It may be out of uh, ignorance or greed, or it may be the perpetuation of harm that is traveling through generations in a family. It may be out of perversion. There's so many different motivators for animal abuse that I don't even try to answer that question. It's not my job. I'll leave that to the forensic psychologists. I just know that it's, it's unfortunately the dark side of human beings. And so I try not to let those horrible cases and what you describe is just absolutely heartbreaking. I try not to let that part, the emotional side of the work I do, penetrate my psyche. Because if I did, I would never be able to get up and go to work again the next day. Yeah, I agree. It's it's so hard because it really, in some ways, makes you, it can make you bitter and cynical. And I think the important thing is realizing that we're uh, trying to save one pet, one pet at a time. So in the work that you do, who do you work with and how do you get cases? So I work with law enforcement officers and animal control officers, both locally and nationally. When I work locally, it's usually an animal control officer approaches me and they say, hey, doc, I've got this dog. I think it may have had non-accidental injury or it may have been maltreated. Would you do an examination for us and write a report? 
So that's my local work. But then also I am sometimes called from a defense attorney or another prosecutor's office uh, further afield asking for my opinion uh, to come in as an expert to review the work that's been done by other veterinarians and opine on whether or not it's consistent with animal cruelty or not. So Martha, do you mind just telling me a little bit more about the cases that you see? Well, I would say when it comes to harmed animals that have survived, it is, as you described with that case, usually arises out of either frustration or a desire for power and control. And it happens in the setting of domestic violence. So I may be doing an exam on an animal that has alleged to have been struck with an object or harmed intentionally another way. And then on the deceased animal side, because I I do exams in both live animals and deceased animals. Unfortunately, the most frequent type of case of deceased animal is an animal that has been abandoned and enclosed in an apartment or a house. So someone moves out, the animal is left behind, and the bank or the landlord are not checking the property quickly and recognizing that there's an animal in there that is going to die if it's not given care. It's so frustrating. There are so many different levels of pet ownership. And I always tell people the three biggest rules that I have with pet ownership are being able to provide a safe environment, making sure that you are keeping them updated on preventative medicine so they don't get sick, and ideally doing some obedience training and some environmental enrichment. And there's so many resources out there. I always tell people, if you don't have the resources financially, you know you're moving, when in doubt, please consider surrendering them to an animal humane society or a local animal rescue group, just because we will make sure that we find a home for that pet. But what advice do you have in that scenario? I agree with everything you've said completely. And I like to, especially with dogs, remind people that dogs took tens of thousands of years to evolve to be with us, to be part of our family unit. So dogs have learned and sort of genetically evolved to be with us. And so when we make dogs be apart from us or when we objectify dogs and treat them only as a tool is when we get an unnatural divide in that relationship. So the dog that is kept on a tether 24-7 or out in a pen 24-7 is being treated in a way that he socially is not meant to be. And so that is the recipe for developing a dangerous dog, a dog that could ultimately harm someone. And by the same token, doing that obedience training is helping both the dog and the owner to learn positive ways to interact, to make sure they understand one another. It's a two-way street and that we need to be communicating with our dogs and our pets. So we get to their level and understand what their needs are and we do our best to deliver them. With COVID, I know that a lot of animal rescue groups actually ran out of pets, right? A lot of people were fostering because people were working from home and that was so refreshing to see. I'm hoping after COVID is over, we're not seeing a return to animal rescue groups. But the bad thing is now we're seeing dogs that are crazy. (laughs) You know, unfortunately, it's because it's been hard to get into the veterinarian or they're trying to do online dog training or they're not doing any dog training. And my general rule, again, is when you think about getting a dog, committing to being able to exercise them 30 minutes a day. And if you can't do that, honestly, you should reconsider it. I believe everyone should have the right to have a a pet because they bring so much joy, but that's two 15 minute walks. If you can't do that, they take a lot of time. And I also say two levels of obedience training, um, just because if your dog doesn't know how to sit, stay, socialize, 
it is actually worse for you. I, I noticed my neighbor chasing their golden retriever uh, puppy down the road, trying to catch it the other day. And, you know, your dog doesn't need to know a lot of commands, but three, sit, stay, come. Those, those are pretty, pretty much the most important. And I promise you, it will make your quality of life as a pet owner much better. So when in doubt, take Martha's advice. So important that we care for our pets appropriately, that we make sure we're doing training, that we make sure they're getting environmental enrichment. Now, it is so hard to see animal cruelty. Again, uh, you and I have both seen that. Uh, The landlord abandonment situation, that horrible zip tie situation. I see situations where dogs are shot by farmers for attacking livestock. Dogs are shot by police. Uh, We see it uh, when it comes to domestic violence. It's really hard to see. And again, part of that also stems from appropriate pet responsibility, making sure that your dog isn't roaming off, you know, unsupervised. Uh, But do you have any tips for what a pet owner can do to keep their pet as safe as possible or what they should do if they suspect animal abuse? So those are two really big questions, but you, I think you've already gotten to the crux of it with that learning the basic three levels of animal training, dog training. And I like that training aspect because it can be redemptive for someone who has committed animal cruelty to learn positive reinforcement training. And there are some programs in some jails and prisons that teach clicker training. So these prisoners are learn the tools of positive reward. And in their own way, they may start to learn how to nurture and how to encourage another being to behave appropriately because they never had that kind of parenting as a child. So I know that's a little bit of, of an aside to the double question you were asking. The second part there is what to do if you suspect animal cruelty. Perhaps you see your neighbor's dog is really super thin and you're concerned that they aren't feeding it adequately and they're not taking it to the veterinarian for care. I encourage you, you I'm always talking to veterinary students and animal control officers and prosecutors and even judges about the importance of courage. Whether your role as a prosecutor, have that prosecutorial courage, have that judicial courage. And as a neighbor, you have to have courage. I know a lot of people are oftentimes afraid to make a report of their concerns of animal cruelty because they're afraid the neighbor is going to know it was them. But you have to understand that if not you, then who? So if you see an animal that's too thin or otherwise you believe an animal is being maltreated either through an act against it or a failure to provide basic need, you have to speak up for that animal. You call your local animal control officer, you call your local police department, and you may even want to call your local prosecutor's office depending on what's going on and depending on how your call was received at the level of the animal control officer in the police department. And here's a tip. In many states, a veterinarian is a mandated reporter, meaning if they see or they encounter a case of suspected animal cruelty in their day-to-day work, they must report it to law enforcement. So if there's a situation where you can encourage an animal to get to a veterinary practice, then once it gets into that threshold, the onus is on the veterinarian, number one, to provide the care that that animal needs, and number two, to make that report if it's appropriate. Now, there's always room for education and helping bring someone along if the animal's not well cared for and it's a matter of ignorance or a lack of recognition. But once that animal is in that treatment program, And after they've been educated and told what resources they need to employ to help give that animal a quality of life that's worth living, and they don't comply, then it's time to make that report. 
I love that quote. If not you, then who? And this applies to veterinarians because even veterinary professionals are scared or hesitant to report animal cruelty because we're worried the owner is going to be upset that they're going to write a bad Yelp or Google review, that it's going to come back to us legally. And I know, gosh, it was a couple of years ago now, but I had to call uh, for an animal welfare check to a local sheriff. And it was a dog that had sustained terrible trauma. It couldn't get up. It couldn't walk. It was paralyzed. And I was really just worried about welfare wise. If this dog was covered in urine or covered in its own feces at home, or if it died, or if it had follow-up care with their veterinarian. And of course, the owner was really upset to get a visit from the sheriff. And, you know, when I as a veterinarian have our leadership come down and say, hey, this owner was complaining about you. But again, it's if not you, then who? Right. We really have to advocate for animals when they can't speak up for themselves. So thank you so much for for what you do. I think that's really important. We'll continue right after these messages from our sponsors. Help your dog from the inside out with Caniotic Daily Probiotic for Dogs. Caniotic's superior and exclusive technology makes it the only dog probiotic from the dog for the dog. Your dog's gastrointestinal tract is important to their well-being, and a daily dose of Caniotic is one easy way you can support it. Caniotic, C-A-N-I-O-T-I-C, is available on Chewy.com. Add it to your cart today and give it a try. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. My cat had issues that developed in his eye, and six months later, they had to go ahead and scrape the eye. And three months later, the same ulcer came back on in the same eye. So my veterinarian said, you know what, let's go ahead and remove the eye. So that night, I heard the carnivore advertising. So I said, you know what, I'm going to order this product. That way, at least I tried. They did the procedure. They did all the tests. To their surprise, they said, I don't know what you did, but I'll see you in two months. I, I kid you not. This product saved his eye. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We've been speaking with Dr. Martha Smith Blackmore, who is a fellow veterinarian. So in your job, you're probably called the Animal Avenger, right? What exactly do you like that title? Or, you know, I know your goal is to make sure that someone who abuses an animal is prosecuted appropriately, but that the wrong cases, you know, whether or not it's just ignorance, whether or not it's a lack of veterinary care, you're making sure that justice is occurring. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. As tempting as it is to want to wrap myself in the cloak of valor and be animal avenger, that is absolutely not my role. My role is a truth seeker. 
So my role is to look at an animal objectively, to recognize any areas where I may have bias or preconceived notions and make sure that I address those and dismiss them so that I can be very scientifically objective. All I want to find is the truth because the deciders are either the judge or the jury, the prosecutor, whether or not they're going to pick up the case and prosecute it. And so I do my very best job to document what has happened to the animal, and to provide my expert opinion based on my training experience as to whether or not I think this could be accidental or non-accidental injury, write up my report and then let go because it's not my job to do the follow-up or the follow-through and I'm not here to punish anyone. In fact, it's interesting to me what has happened over my couple of decades of doing this work is I have developed a degree of empathy for the animal abuser that I never thought I would find. But I know that people who abuse animals have also most often been harmed themselves. This is not to say they shouldn't be held accountable. They absolutely should. But we also, as a, as a society, need to be able to provide them with care and support so that they don't perpetuate these abuses. So that, that was a surprising outcome for me. So no, I'm not the animal avenger. Uh, I just want to do a good job. You do an amazing job. So thank you for all that you do. I also love that point. Like oftentimes we have so much anger towards anyone who abuses an animal or child because they seem so helpless and we don't even think of that side of empathy. And I will say just my, my personality, I don't rank high on the empathy scale. And there's one video that I saw by Brene Brown that you can find on YouTube on the difference between sympathy and empathy. And when I saw that, it was so powerful. So I really encourage people to check that out. All of this must be so hard in terms of seeing animal abuse, trying to avoid bitterness, trying to be empathetic, trying to be the animal avenger. I'm still going to call you that. <laughs> so tell me a little something personal. What do you do for fun? Oh, I work. I work for, <laughs> just like you, right? Yeah, workaholics. But seriously, I enjoy uh, cooking. I enjoy spending time with my human and animal family going for hikes. I now embarrass my husband to no degree because I did get a stroller for our parrot. Oh, so that's he can, great. <laughs> I love it. He can join us on our hikes. So it's not just the dogs. It's also the parrot that's going out in the woods. So I, I do try to strike that balance of protecting myself. I don't watch Animal Planet shows that focus on animal cruelty and I delete or ignore posts on Facebook that have anything to do that's, that's harmful because I can't fix it. So I save that part of myself for my work, but I do try to get out there and, and just be a regular person as much as possible. So important. You know, we're all surviving really hard times right now, you know, as we survive a pandemic, social isolation, curbside veterinary practice, lack of travel, lack of interaction with friends and family. It's been so hard, but I love how you work so hard on veterinary forensics to help save our vulnerable population of dogs and cats and other birds and other species who can't speak for themselves. And I call it work of frolic because it brings <laughs> us joy. But I'm not a workaholic. I'm a work of frolic. I, I am going to take that. I need that. Thank you. Yes. Yes. You got to love what you do, right? Well, Dr. Martha Smith Blackmore, thank you so much for all that you do with Vet Investigator. Love how you're a forensic veterinarian. And I know it's not a super popular path, but such a vital, important path. And thank you so much for all that you do to save our pets. My pleasure. Take care. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at drjustinelee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. 
With that, we're out of time. And again, we want to thank Dr. Martha Smith-Blackmore, where you can find more information at vetinvestigator.com, and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.